Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and I'm very excited to have Joshua Cloak, who covers Canadian soccer and the Toronto Maple Leafs for The Athletic, to come on and talk about his career, uh, the senior men's national team, uh, and most importantly, his new book, The Voyagers, which comes out October 4th, detailing the history of the Canadian senior men's national team. And I've, I'm very excited to read this book. I've read a bit of the preview. Um, it looks really good as a big soccer junkie especially for the Canadian men's national team. I'm super amped. So uh, how's it going, Joshua? And thanks for coming on. Oh, man. Thank you very much for having me on. This is awesome. Yeah. So before we get started into the to your book, The Voyageurs, I wanted to first ask a bit about your career. When did you first think you might want to pursue a career in sports journalism and writing? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think um, for a lot of, you know, sports journalists, you, you kind of are just very naturally, you know, drawn into, you know, maybe not necessarily a specific role, but you're just drawn to the profession because, you know, I'm sure like anyone listening right now, you're, you're just, you're obsessed with sports, you're, you're thinking about sports, you're talking about sports, you you appreciate sports more than just kind of a, a, a passing hobby or something, you know, to watch at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I love sports and I actually got started um, in music journalism. Hmm. Um, so I, um, I, I was a teacher. I, I, oh, cool. I went, I went abroad. Yeah. I much to the chagrin of my parents, I left university. Um, and I guess all this shows is that there's, there's no linear path to wherever you mm -hmm. want to be. Um, I left uh, university after three years because I was, you know, not happy about where I was and what I was studying. I was studying political science and English. Um, oh, me too. And, I did political science. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and it just didn't really, I wasn't really getting much out of it. And I probably, I was just, feeling antsy as a 22 year old. Um, so I left to go teach English abroad in Poland for a year. And it was um, eye opening uh, in, in a number of ways. Um, and, you know, I returned and, and did one more year at uh, university. And that's when I started writing um, for my school paper, um, the Ontarian and Guelph um, shout out. And I was doing um, concert reviews and album reviews and uh, most importantly, interviews with with musicians that would come through Guelph. Um, and it was a remarkable way to just better understand how to talk to, to people. I mean, I love, I, I grew up loving storytelling. You know, <laughs> I was always the guy, um, you know, at parties or whatever, um, trying to like weave what some people just saw as a simple event into this long story. <laughs> um, Anyway, yeah, and so after that, I, I after university, I went abroad and taught um, English abroad in a number of places: uh, Istanbul, um, Australia, Vancouver. And I thought teaching was going to be what I was going to do, but all along I was writing, um, kind of on the side for a variety of of whether it was you know in Istanbul, I was writing for Time Out magazine, which is the the English magazine there. And, Vancouver, I was doing work for the Vancouver Sun. Um, Australia, I was writing for their their weekly um, arts paper there. And, and it, it eventually it, it became something that uh, dominated my thought process in the middle of, of English lessons, in the middle of teaching. 
Um, but it's hard to, to do it, to do it full time. Um, when I moved to Toronto, uh, I'm just from just outside of Toronto. And when I moved to Toronto with, with my wife in 2013 to kind of, uh, put some roots down, I guess I, I really kind of decided that I, I had to go at it full time. So I was freelancing almost full time teaching a little bit, um, but relentless and, and, you know, my pursuit of whether it was new opportunities or new stories. And I think that's something that I took away from, from that time. And I think if people ever ask about, you know, the, not necessarily the keys to success, but what I did, it was just that relentlessness, um, you know, probably to my detriment at times, I couldn't really turn off, but I was mm-hmm. just so focused on succeeding in, in, in journalism. And it was around that time that I really switched from, from music to sports because I just found myself thinking more and more about sports. And I think there were just more opportunities to talk to different people. And so by 2016, uh, the athletic had kind of was starting up in Toronto and I was freelancing for them. And it took a few years before kind of landing full time with them. But I think it was because I could, I wanted to do hockey and soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was, I, I think in hindsight, it was just that kind of um, doggedness in terms of, of what I wanted um, probably because I knew secretly that, you know, working in sports journalism is, it's cliche, man, but it is one of the coolest jobs on the planet. I I love my job. That's not something a lot of people get to say, mm-hmm. partly because it doesn't always feel like a job. It's not bailing hay, right? Like I, I'm very fortunate to be able to do um, what I do, um, but it, it takes a lot of effort and, you know, work to, to get into that, right? No, 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 of course. And and that's a an interesting just life story really and i i wanted to to go on to to your book a little bit and i know you just mentioned you were you wrote you're a music journalist and wrote about music and i know that you wrote a book a memoir about the tragically hip and then you wrote a book about toronto fc so i wanted to talk about what your process is like to to write a book in this case the voyageurs and maybe describe has there been any differences between those books that you wrote in in terms of your process and what your process is like? I think um, one of the kind of key lessons or things that I was told um, very early on in sports journalism, um, I I have to give a lot of credit to to my colleague. um, And I know he taught as well, Sean Fitzgerald, who is still, you know, one of the best sports writers in the country. Um, he would always tell me about the importance of getting multiple perspectives on one single event, right? He would always tell me, you know, about the pen and I see the pen from this angle, but it's different from like the way that that he sees the pen. And and so I I think I I really took that to heart and very early on, both in, in reporting, but also in, in, especially in writing the books, my goal was to, always was to talk to as many people as possible. Right. I, I think I, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I, the Toronto FC, for example, were not around for a very long time. And I'm, you know, you probably could have written that book talking to just two or three people, but talking to as many people as possible um, reveals different stories, um, creates kind of um, creates a bit of, 
conflict in the narrative because you get these different perspectives and it makes for a ton more transcribing. But just in terms of process, that was the the kind of the the, the key thing that that was part of the writing for that Toronto FC book was just talking to as many people as as possible and figuring out the many different ways that this club, which is a special club, I think, in in MLS, um, impacted lots of different people. Um, And then in terms of like from book to book, I think when I, with this book on the men's national team, the focus was, uh, again, talking to a lot of people, but maybe focusing a little bit more on talking to people that don't often talk, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because um, I, I think sometimes, um, you know, when you talk to people, they can be, when you talk to people that are still in, in, in kind of the industry or, or whatever, they can be a bit guarded sometimes. But I tried with this book to get voices that were there for the entire kind of rise of the men's national team throughout a generation, but people that, that, didn't either have a chance to tell their stories um, or wouldn't be as, as kind of guarded. Um, So that was definitely a a focus of mine, maybe fewer people, but longer interviews, if that makes sense. Um, So, yeah. And and like, look, I think you have to, when it comes to, to writing this book, I think I was um, the, the, the timeline was a little bit tight because, you know, the publisher wanted to get it out before the world cup and i'm happy it is out before the world cup but that just meant that um getting it done in a short amount of time meant a lot of you know i would write i would start to write it at 5 a.m every day i would usually like in terms of process i would usually transcribing interviews would be the last thing i'd do before bed which isn't necessarily healthy but it's the way it's what you have to do (laughs) i'd be transcribing interviews um right before bed and then you'd go to bed kind of thinking about that interview. And then you'd wake up with that interview as like the first thing on your brain. And that actually helped me. I would kind of wake up. Um, this is super detailed, but I'd wake up, um, you know, usually go for a walk or hit the treadmill for for 20 minutes just to kind of get my thoughts together and then sit down at the kitchen table and and bang out as many pages as I could and you know you do all that before you have to get the eggs ready for your toddler um and then you the the point is is that that that's kind of the the process that I kind of discovered worked for me Mm -hmm. um because yeah when you write a book you have to be obsessed with the with the topic for better or worse but but I was and and hopefully people get something out of it and just to go off that, what was your inspiration to write uh, The Voyageurs? I know you mentioned on Northern Football that that game against Haiti was kind of a seminal moment or or a genesis of the book. I just wanted you to to speak to the inspiration to The Voyageurs, of The Voyageurs. Well, I mean, first of all, I, I appreciate the question. I, I do. Um, I, yeah, I, I had kind of... I think after the Toronto FC book, Come On You Reds, um, it probably took me a little bit longer to to kind of find a book project that I wanted. Um, I like writing books. I do. Um, And once the men's national team started to get 
you once you know you could see a gradual improvement in their play and you know with John Herdman and Alfonso Davies it was clear something was happening but it also at first it felt a little bit too soon and I think like a lot of people that follow Canadian soccer I was couching all the enthusiasm by saying yeah but it's still the men's national team like there's gonna there's disappointment around the corner somewhere and I suppose there still could be but um once Canada um qualified for the final round of qualifying um you know they had to go through the first round the second round playing minnows and they hadn't been to the final rounds uh, since 1997 and um i had been talking you know i'd been doing radio hits uh, uh you know about the men's national team and and the the my publisher um dundurn press who i worked with on the toronto fc book they kind of got in touch and they said you know, we, we've been hearing you on the radio again, like, do you, do you, can we, can we kick around some ideas? And um, it, we met the day after Canada did, you know, beat Haiti and qualify for the last round of qualifying still by no means a guarantee to, to make the mm-hmm. world cup. Um, and we kicked around some ideas. And, and one idea that I, I just couldn't shake uh, was Framing this book much in the same way uh, Raf Honingstein, um, who I, it's incredible to call him a colleague um, at The Athletic, the way that he framed the German national team's rise in Das Reboot, which is a book that just as a fan of the German national team, I've read yeah. way too many times to count. And I kind of shared this idea with my publisher. I said, I, I, I think there's a story about this men's national team, but more importantly, I think there's a story about the people that have helped this team get to where it is now. And some of these untold stories I think deserve to be told. Um, and that's the way the book is, is framed it, from 1986, their first world cup to now it kind of tells the chronological story of this men's team's rise, but interspersed in that story are lengthy profiles about some of the people that have contributed to this, that rise. And, you know, there's a lot of themes, which it within, each of these profiles, you know, Craig Forrest was a player that sacrificed a lot uh, on the club side and probably missed out on some very big opportunities with big profile clubs to go play for Canada. That's not something a lot of players did. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, Craig's story is all about how, you know, he sacrificed for Canada. Stephen Hart is a player that, or a person that I really enjoyed profiling because as the men's national team coach, he tried to kind of take the shackles off a team that was long, just a defensive first team. And he tried to embody some of the multiculturalism and diversity that was really growing in the the player pool and Mm -hmm. bring these divergent styles of playoff onto the pitch. And in 2007, when he takes over the team at the gold cup, they finally start playing attractive offensive front foot soccer for the first time ever. Um, and so these are just some of the people that I wanted to profile. And I think that that was kind of the genesis for the book was the, the people as much of the stories, um, yeah. because that's that's the stuff that I like to do with the athletics. So, yeah, again, my hope is that people who are curious about this national team ahead of the World Cup read this and learn a little bit about the people that, that they didn't kind of know about before. Right. Yeah, no, and I'm really interested to to read your book. I, I know you mentioned on Northern Football that you really thought the Atiba Hutchinson chapter was really 
something you really liked and, and like to write about. So um, I'm, I'm excited to read that part because I think uh, as, as I'm sure, you know, and, and, and would would think that he's probably the most I think you said that on the podcast that he's the best athlete, Canadian athlete no one's ever heard of. Right. And uh, and uh, yeah. So, yeah. So I just wanted to move a little bit to the team on the field. And and what was it like covering a Canadian men's national team that actually made the World Cup? And what were some of your most fondest memories of their run? Yeah, it was surreal um, covering this team. I, I do remember very clearly um, after that first game of that first final round of game and final round of qualifying where they drew one, one um, at home. And, you know, I, I remember listening to, to Herdman after the game and, and he said, look, I, I think some players on the team thought that they'd come out and they'd play Tiki Taka and it would be easy. Right. But the final round of CONCACAF is really tough. There's physicality. There's, you know, there's, there's dark arts. And, and I, I remember thinking it was going to be a real upwards climb for this team. And I remember driving home on the QEW thinking in the back of my mind, Oh, I actually don't, I, I don't know if Canada's going to qualify and I don't know what's going to happen with my book then, because I don't want to put it out yeah. if they don't qualify. And from that game on, the ascent of the men's team through qualifying was legitimately, legitimately became one of the best stories in Canadian sports history because it was so rapid and it was so quick. And the way they galvanized the country by playing a front foot attacking style of football, the way they played without fear, the way they did so as a young and really likable outfit. Um, it was wild. You know, I, I think uh, uh, for me, uh, you know, there are a few real turning points. Um, I, I was there for, for every home game, uh, including, you know, the, 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 the game that, that I thought really turned things was um, at Panama when they were home to Panama mm -hmm. and um you know, they go down one nil and you kind of, that was the moment where I was like, hey, yeah, like this is probably yeah. it. This is when the wheels come off, but they stay focused with their style of play and they end up coming back four one and Alfonso Davies scores a, a viral goal. And I remember at that point thinking, okay, this team is good. Yeah. And then I go, I went to, to Edmonton to cover the two games there. And when they beat Mexico at home and do it in such a dramatic fashion, I, I remember thinking, okay, this team has a chance to go to the world cup. They were top of the table at that point. And then when they beat the United States in Hamilton, uh, I remember, and doing that without Alfonso Davies and Stefano Stacchio, I remember thinking that, okay, they're going to the world cup. Um, I was in Costa Rica for, I believe, I guess it was match day 12 when they could have clinched their world cup berth. Um, and I think the, the moment maybe got to them a little bit, but I also think Costa Rica was, was fighting for their lives. And so it was wild to be around the team then when they're kind of on the, the precipice of history. Um, and then obviously, you know, watching the team qualify at BMO Field, which yeah, was, I was probably, there too. It was yeah, it was wild just because it was fitting in, in so many ways. It was freezing and, entire team's family was there. So what was interesting as well, just being around the team throughout qualifying 
was how they didn't waver, right? This is a team that, and we're, we saw it with Mexico. We saw it with the United States. We're really seeing it with the United States. There's dips, right? There's dips and there's, there's, there's ups and downs. This team, it was all up, right? Just game by game, they got better. Game by game, they garnered new fans. That The TV numbers grew. So just game by game, it just, the, the, the trajectory just kept moving up and up and up. And it was interesting for me. I used that as fuel a bit to write this book because I just felt um, energized in a lot of ways, right? So yeah, it was a, it was a wild, it was something I'll, like that qualifying run is something I'll genuinely never forget. To, to move on to, they've just made the World Cup and it's, I still kind of find it just incredible to see them and think about them in a month's time playing in the World Cup. Uh, what are your expectations for Canada at the World Cup? I know you mentioned that you thought their schedule benefits them in terms of who they play. Uh, would you just kind of give me your maybe expectations for, for Canada at the World Cup? I mean, if if the way that they played against Qatar and Uruguay um, in the friendlies this this week or over this last week is any indication, my expectations are that they play front foot soccer in a way that I, I wondered if they, they wouldn't. You know, I, I remember... Um, I think back to when they were away to the United States and qualifying and they, they kind of bunkered a little bit. Um, but you watch the way that they really took the game to Uruguay and obviously they didn't get the result probably, yeah. you know, they just needed the finishing, but I, my expectations are that they go after the games um, in against Belgium and Croatia. Um, and I probably wouldn't have said that a few months ago, um, my expectations are that they find the back of the net. You know, I think some obviously somebody will score Canada's first ever goal at a World Cup. Um, I, I think in terms of predictions, right, it's it's reasonable to expect them to get one, maybe two draws. Um, and, and I do expect that Alfonso Davies will take over a game at some point. It remains to be seen to me which one. But I do think he has the the capacity to to take over a game, and if he can do that in the right circumstances, if it that perhaps happens against Morocco, and they somehow get a win, you know we're 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 we're, we're talking about them going through to the next round, which is kind of wild. But I think a draw or two is probably a reasonable expectation. I think we saw against Uruguay the gap between the good teams and the great teams in world football is big. Um, and so if, but if Canada can stick to their identity and if they can play, you know, without any fear and not cower to the moment, then I, I don't think it's, it's unreasonable to expect them to, to find the back of the net, get some draws and, and maybe surprise some people. Who would maybe be the, the player you're most excited to watch at, on, at the big stage at the world cup? I think maybe most would say Alfonso Davies, but is there a player that you're just really excited to be maybe shown off? To the world at, at the world cup for canada yeah the I, I would say i don't know if it's the best term to use but i would say my favorite player to watch on this men's national team is stefan astacchio um and i say that partly because i i love that kind of player that that intelligent hard-working um you know, deep-lying midfielder i mean growing up bastion schweinsteiger was was always <laughs> my favorite player i i 
my son's name is Bastion. Uh, oh. I don't, I don't <laughs> like to, my wife doesn't love uh, me kind of mentioning that uh, as often as I do, but yeah. Um, and I think I'm not, this is not, there's no, not necessarily parallels, but I think Stefan Stacchio has a lot of those qualities and that he is dependable. Um, he is so smart in the way he finds his spots um, in the middle of the pitch. And he's so relentless with his work rate. And he's so good at beginning the transition play for Canada. And I think that's what's important because John Herdman has told me, and he'll probably tell anyone that asks if this team is going to be successful in Qatar, it's going to be because of their transition game. And you need someone in the back to kind of basically start, yeah, start the transition, you know, progress the ball. And, and I think that's Stefan Estacchio. I, I think he plays every single minute in the World Cup. And I think he's at a great club in Porto, but I genuinely believe the sky is the limit for the player because his confidence is sky high. And I think, again, it's cliche, but people talk about what this new Canadian team is. And I think he embodies that new attitude, confidence, fearlessness that was really missing in the men's national team for a generation. Mm -hmm. I, my, my one question or before I, I, I let you go, how excited are you for the World Cup and are you going to Qatar to cover it? Uh, I am, and wow. I literally have to pinch myself all the time. It'll be my first World Cup working, and, and um, you know, I, 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 I hope, I, I just hope I do a service to, you know, the, the readers and, and the people that have, have subscribed, um, you know, to, to read the, the stuff that we do about the Canadian men's national team. I'm kind of... Uh, I, I will admit right now I'm a little I'm I'm a little more concerned about uh, you know making sure there's enough kind of um, help for for my wife and and my um, my four year old son when I'm gone. Um, but yeah, I am I am over the moon excited about it, and I'm I'm you know I'm ready to dive in with, yeah. with two feet, two arms, whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. And so where can people buy the Voyagers and uh, find it? And is there anything else you want to plug for the athletic too? You also write for the Maple Leafs, anything the listeners should keep their eyes and ears open for other than obviously buying your book again, comes out October 4th. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the, the runway to do that. I, um, I, there's a lot coming out at the athletic. I think what, what my goal leading up to the world cup is to tell the stories of the people again, just as, just as I did with the Voyagers, but tell the stories of the people and the players that got there. So we, we have a lot of great stories uh, coming up. Um, some, a lot of behind the scenes stuff that I think a lot of fans will, will appreciate. Um, but yeah, with the Voyagers, you can buy the book anywhere you buy books. And I mean that absolutely anywhere. I always suggests people to to give their their local indie bookstore downtown a call and a see if they have it and they don't if they don't ask them to order it uh and and they will but yeah it's available october 4th anywhere you buy books um and I, again i genuinely hope people learn something about the men's national team because you know if they go to qatar and they get a result there it has the potential to be one of the, the biggest stories in Canadian sports history and I, I think there's something 
there's something a lot of people can take out of this because what we're going to see from this men's national team at the World Cup could end up be a turning point in a the, you know a shifting Canadian sports landscape because this men's national team going to the World Cup and piggybacking off the women's national team success yeah. at least we said. Uh, but them going to the World Cup, we could look back at it uh, as as kind of a point when soccer became not just a, you know, a, the, the third or fourth most popular sport in the country, but it could end up being the the point where, you know, we genuinely talk about soccer years from now as as when it started to become the most popular sport in the country. Because I don't think we're that far off, you know, if you look yeah. at the changing demographics, the the changing economy how expensive it is to play hockey, everything that's going on with hockey right now. It's not unreasonable to expect that one day soccer is the most popular sport in Canada. And I think this World Cup is going to be a big part of that. Well, thank you so much, Joshua, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, you're taking your time and really excited to read your book. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I do appreciate it. Um, listeners of Behind the Play, we'll have a, a, cool, um, a couple cool episodes coming up in the future. So stay tuned and see you soon.